if you'll notice, um, in the Old Testament, at the end of it, there are a series of these, these little books written by the minor prophets. There are a dozen of them. Surely we're not going to be able to hit all 12 of them in this brief time, so we're going to take a week, and each week we'll focus on one of those books uh, so that we can uh, get a taste of some of the ways that God raised up prophets to speak to the people in Israel. So briefly, I want to start with what the work of a prophet entailed. Those who were men and women who were called God's word to the people. Now, when we think of a prophet, we usually think of someone who's like a soothsayer or a fortune teller. But that's not the work of a prophet necessarily, to tell the future. But what the prophet would often do would be to speak God's truth to the people in the midst of their communities. Um, so sometimes those were words of warning, but sometimes they were words of hope. And often with the prophets, there would be a mingling of both of those, warning and hope. These words that would say, you are failing at being faithful to God. But if you return, God will show mercy and God will show compassion. And time and again is words. Um, so when we think about a prophet, um, in Hebrew they were known as the Nebaim or the Nabi. Um, and that translates to the word one call. So that's an interesting thing about a prophet. It is a vocation for them. They have been called into this role. They did not sign up for the job. <laughs> it's not like they, they heard about what it entailed and said, oh, I want to go be a prophet. So these are people that God called out of um, one of the theologians, Bruce Birch, puts it this way. He says that prophets are intermediaries between the worlds of God and humans, between the worlds of the sacred and the profane. And so they can see things in the world that normal human beings might not recognize and interpret as having to do with the things of God. Um, and Bruce Birch says, in some ways, they're like priests, and a few of them were priests. Some of them, like Jeremiah and Ezekiel, were priests. But prophets didn't have to be born into any particular lineage the way that the priests were at this time. So we have these minor prophets, and we, it, it, it kind of feels bad to call them minor. It's like they're less important than the other prophets, but they're not. It just means um, that, that they have a smaller place in the canon of scripture. So some of these minor prophets, the entire book might be only one chapter, whereas other prophets like Isaiah get 66 chapters of scripture. What they were saying to the people of God was no less important. Um, and so today we're focusing on one of those prophets named Hosea. And Hosea was somebody who was part of the northern kingdom. He lived of Jeroboam II. If you like to follow the kings and the chronology, um, he's during Jeroboam II, which is 750 to 725 BC. Um, so that's how long ago he spoke. Now, an interesting thing about Hosea, only in the Hebrew Bible, I elected the northern kingdom. So he was a true northerner uh, to the people of Israel. 
One of the ways that we see the way that uh, how Hosea operated is that he had a very difficult place because he had to call out the people by rebuking all of their efforts at being allied with Assyria as a means to national security. Hosea had this unenviable task of presiding over the death of his beloved nation. But even while he's in the midst of all this chaos and turmoil, he still is a prophet that speaks a word of hope that's based on national revival. He wants the people to be engaged in acts of radical repentance, turning back to the Lord. God really made Hosea live a hard life to show this dedication to his work, to show his way of proclaiming God's truth to the people, and that is that he, God called him to marry a woman who was not going to be faithful to him, a woman who was a prostitute. Eugene Peterson puts it this way. He says that Hosea himself was a parable of God's love for his people lived out as God revealed and enacted it. He was a lived parable. It's an astonishing story. A prophet who is commanded to marry a common prostitute and have children with her. And so we find here in the first chapter of this book, God is calling Hosea to marry this woman named Gomer. And they're going to have children together. The first one that is born is named Jezreel. And now, if you think about when you name your children, you put a lot of time and thought into that, amen? You try to pick names. I know I did and John did. We try to pick names that were filled with hope and love and maybe honoring somebody who was who has gone before us. Um, I know we had Asher's birthday last week, and one of the things that I noted was the scripture that was the basis of his name. The women will call me happy, so I will name him Asher. That was in Genesis. And so I knew if I had a son, I was going to name him Asher because it represented how happy I would be at that naming. Marley's birthday is this week. I always wanted to have a girl named Marley because I love reggae music. So that's just, you know, we have hopes and dreams for our children and how we name them. And you can all think about how parents probably told you stories about what you were named and, and why they named you that. And sometimes you still shake your head and say, I don't know why they named me that. But, but we all know how important this is. So it's no different for Hosea. But instead of naming him his children based on these words of affirmation and hope and love, he's naming them based on how God feels right now about Israel and about the people that he's speaking to. It represents the violent behavior of the northern ruling house in that kingdom because of there's so much bloodshed that's what he wanted to embody. Now, the second child got an even better name. Could you imagine naming your child not pitied? 
That's what lo ruhamah means, and that was the name of the second child. There came another one, lo ami, not my people. And so he's in this marriage that should be such a covenant. Hosea began to represent how God is feeling. And now as you read throughout Hosea, you're going to find even more um, a, a soap opera going on, really, because Gomer is not going to be faithful. She's going to leave, and leaves Hosea's going to go after her because it's all a representation of how God pursues God's people that Hosea and Gomer have is very much a representation of how God understands the people. It's a place that has not felt betrayed at some point in their life. Amen? Now, it may be a, a spouse that has betrayed you, or it might not even be that. It may be a best friend or a co-worker or somebody who you thought you could trust, you thought you could put reliance upon, you thought would hold you in love and esteem, and they've done something that has completely shattered you. Every single one of us can feel that and know that. And that's what breaks my heart when I read this book. That's how God feels. Anytime we put another God before him, and it doesn't have to be Baal or Asherah or one of the other gods of the people around. It doesn't have to be Zeus and the, the pantheon of Greece and Rome. It doesn't have to be a god with a little g. It could be anything that we put in front of our Lord and make it more important. Anytime we do that, God feels betrayed. And when I was thinking about that, it just it broke my heart to think how often we do that. We might not even intend to, but every day when we make little choices that say we're going to put ourselves or our family or our work before the Lord that we serve, every time we do that, it's a betrayal that feels to God as though we were his beloved spouse of being adulterous betraying him. It really changes the way we think about that. Peterson talks about it this way. He says, we live in a world of wash and love stories, and most of them are lies. They're not love stories at all. They're lust stories, fantasy stories, domination stories. From the cradle, we are fed lies about love. And this would be bad enough if it only messed up human relationships for man and woman and parent and child and friend and friend, but it also messes up our God relationships. The huge mountainous reality of all existence is, quote, that God is love, that God loves the world, and each single detail of the real world that we face and deal with day after day is permeated by this love. But when our minds and our imaginations are crippled with lies about love, we have a hard time understanding this fundamental ingredient of daily living. Love either as a noun or as a verb. Think about it. What does this mean for God's love for us? We know how much God loves us. 
God loved us enough to send his son. God loved us enough to offer a sacrifice of his beloved so that we could be in relationship with him. But here's what Peterson goes on to say. What's even more astonishing about God's love is this, that God loves us just in this way that Hosea loved God. He goes after us at our worst, keeps after us until he gets us and makes lovers of men and women who know nothing of real love. God comes after us, pursues us, and says, even if you have failed, even if you've been unfaithful, even if you've betrayed me as your Lord, I still love you. <coughs> God still pursues us that way. And that's the beautiful thing about what the prophet tells us, that God is still calling us to come back, to be his and his alone to be restored in our relationships with our Lord. And part of the way we do that is when we come and we worship, we're returning to God. When we present ourselves at this table for Holy Communion, it's a meal of reconciliation with our God, the God who pursues us and says, I might have called you once pity and non-compassion, but now I'm calling you my people. In the book of Hosea, there are several places where it calls us to truly return to God. But one of them that really spoke to me this week comes from Hosea 10, verse 12. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap faithful love. Break up your unplanted ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness on you. May all of us seek after our Lord, knowing that he is ready to receive us back, even in our brokenness, even in our betrayal. As we return to God, God always welcomes back with his great mercy. And we celebrate that today as we share the Holy Communion. Amen.